Hello, my name is Stanley Bill. You're listening to Notes from Poland. This week, I'm back with Ben Stanley to talk about conflict in Poland's ruling coalition and the recent government reshuffle. We'll discuss the tensions between the key players, what the motivations are, and what it all might mean for the future. Notesfrompoland.com is the leading English language source of news, insight, and analysis on Poland. In this podcast, I look at the country from all angles, politics, history, culture, and society. You can get more news and the deeper stories about Poland at notesfrompoland.com. This week, my guest is Warsaw-based political scientist Ben Stanley. Welcome back to the Notes from Poland podcast, Ben. Thanks for having me back, Stan. Now, Poland's ruling coalition has just come through a period of very significant turbulence in the lead-up to a government reshuffle that finally happened this week. In fact, the coalition almost fell apart. We're going to talk about why and about what might happen next, but it's probably useful first to give a brief summary for listeners of how the conflict unfolded. So after President Duda's re-election in July, the ruling coalition announced that a reshuffle would come in the autumn. This meant a new series of negotiations between the three main parties of the coalition, law and justice, peace, the hard-right United Poland, Solidarna Polska party of Justice Minister Zbigniew Ziobro, and the economically liberal agreement, Porozumienie party of then former Deputy Prime Minister Jarosław Gowin. The stakes, as always, were ministerial and deputy ministerial positions, and also control of often lucrative appointments to boards of state-owned companies and other institutions. By September, it became clear that negotiations were not going well. Things came to a head when Ziobro's United Poland party voted against an animal rights bill, of all things, being pushed by peace leader Jarosław Kaczyński himself. The bill passed thanks to opposition votes, but the conflict within the coalition exploded in public. Senior peace figures came out to say that the coalition was over and that peace was prepared to be a minority government and to get ready for fresh elections. Leaks said that Justice Minister Jobra was about to be axed. In response, a seemingly somewhat chastened Jobro and his party members ended up performing a kind of public obeisance, emphasizing their loyalty. Eventually, a new coalition agreement was signed, and the conflict was certainly not resolved, because it will come back, but at least put on hold when the reshuffle was finally announced after multiple delays at the beginning of October. Mateusz Morawiecki remains Prime Minister, though perhaps in a weakened position. Jobro keeps his job as Justice Minister, and Govian returns to the government after his earlier resignation in May during the last coalition crisis. Most importantly, Jarosław Kaczyński, previously ruling effectively the country with no formal position and no constitutional responsibility, returned to the government for the first time since 2007. He's now taken the role of a deputy prime minister in charge of state security matters, overseeing the justice, defense and interior ministries. So a complicated set of circumstances and obviously 
a real political sensation in Poland, with the genuine possibility that the government's majority could fall apart, uh, because peace needs the seats of these two minor parties. So, what just happened? Who are Jobro and United Poland, and what are they trying to achieve? Well, um, Jobro and United Poland were trying to achieve what I suspect they've been wanting to achieve from for quite a while, which is to come out of the shadow of peace. I mean, they have um, functioned for since two thousand and fifteen as one of the minor parties in the um, the governing coalition, and. Um, I mean, it's worth mentioning that this is, you know, in, they have a coalition agreement in electoral terms. They were all elected from PiS's um, electoral lists in 2000, in, in 2015. Mm-hmm. And so both parties, I think, have um, realised, have, have known that they are you know, dependent on peace for their, um, for their access to power. Independently, they would struggle to get over the 5% threshold to get elected. But at the same time, have also gained a greater sense, particularly after the 2019 election, that um, peace also needs them in order to be able to govern. United Poland essentially, ideologically, attempted to be what the right of law and justice is. If you strip out the moderate rhetoric, if you strip out the... um, the more moderate aspects of social conservatism that still exist within peace, and take the the sort of the the radical right element that has become more mainstream within peace in recent years. This is essentially what um, United Poland were trying to be in 2012 when they set themselves up, and so they have always existed in that sort of that area to to the right of peace, but not um, in the sense of overlapping with with, with yeah. the right of peace, and in, in many respects being very. Um, very compatible with what is increasingly becoming the mainstream current within uh, within peace. So, so you could say that that almost creates a, a, a dynamic that has tension associated with it, because in some way, a part of peace could potentially be detached at some point in the future and, and join United Poland, because it shares a political profile. And similarly, members of United Poland could easily join one faction of peace, because again, they overlap. So there's a sense that those options are both open in a way, right? That that peace could split and, and at some point in the future after Kaczynski, for example, and some members could join Jobro, but also United Poland could be absorbed into peace. So th- is that sort of part of the tension here, that sort of lack of clarity about how that overlap functions? Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the biggest unanswered question in Polish politics is what happens when Kaczynski leaves? And um, this this sense that United Poland is sitting there waiting for the opportunity to carve off a significant portion of um, both the peace elite and peace's electorate has been one of the reasons why the party has sought to establish itself as a... Um, as, as an ongoing concern and to establish a more of a, um, a clearer profile for itself as an independent political force. Jobro is younger, he's clearly very ambitious, he's somebody who sees himself as a potential prime minister and as a potential leader of the right. So um, keeping his um, party viable as an alternative has been very much a priority for him, particularly since the 2019 elections. And I think that um, the converse to that, as you're suggesting, is that um, United Poland has, um, through the 
the ebb and flow of its fortunes over the last um, eight or nine years been a potential source both of electoral support for uh, for peace and also potentially for um, the transfer of political elites who cut their teeth within United Poland, but um, subsequently could be tempted over to join a, a larger and more viable party. Well, so well historically, there are, there are quite a few figures that have gone backwards yeah. and forwards between the two parties. Um, so is there a benefit to the coalition uh, of having two separate parties that overlap in this way? Is there an extent to which uh, Kaczynski sees it partly as an advantage because it helps him to, to in his factional games to play different sides against each other, to have that very clear demarcated division? Is it also helpful because the Jobro faction of, of, of that party of United Poland can represent a more clearly defined sort of ideological sort of hard right position and therefore appeal more clearly to that part uh, of the electorate? Um, are those the kinds of games that are involved here, that there are advantages as well as disadvantages to this separation? Yes, I, I think what's helped law and justice over the last few years has been the the possibility that has been afforded to them by both of their coalition partners to um, to engage in a certain degree of plausible deniability with respect to certain types of policies and certain types of rhetoric. With United Poland being further to the right, it's often been more hardline on a number of issues and more outspoken and many of its uh, particularly its younger and more ambitious um, MPs have been um, uh, particularly prominent in the media talking about certain issues and um, uh, developing a degree of notoriety and um, that allow it it, that that allows peace to sort of use that party as a something of a um, it can articulate certain things that um, uh, Kaczynski would like to have in the uh, the public debate and do so in ways that are often not um, necessarily um, a good idea for um, peace to be uh, to be articulating. And um, the fact that this is a separate party and is clearly, you know, especially recently, has been attempting to um, to innovate its own agenda gives um, peace the possibility to say, well. Uh, this is not something that um, that is directly associated with our party. It's um, an initiative or an idea or um, a piece of rhetoric that's come from uh, from United Poland. So it keeps more radical right ideas in the public discourse without necessarily um, requiring peace to be directly attached to those uh, to, to, to that rhetoric. I mean, that, that's very interesting what you say. I, I completely agree that it's been very useful to have, in the case of United Poland, uh, a more radical partner that's able to air um, ideas that appeal to a certain part of the electorate without it necessarily being guaranteed that there's going to be any political follow-through on those ideas. And then and then peace and the government uh, and Kaczynski guiding it from behind the scenes is able to sort of ensure that a bill isn't actually passed, but at least an idea gets put out there. And exactly example of that is the Istanbul Convention. So this notion that Poland should withdraw from the Istanbul Convention, which is which is to prevent violence against women um, and domestic violence. And th- there's a lot of will, particularly in conservative uh, sections of the church, to withdraw from this convention because it's seen as something of an ideological Trojan horse uh, that it, that it contains kind of gender ideology as they as they describe it. So of course this idea that that Poland should withdraw from this treaty is being very aggressively promoted by United Poland and the Justice Ministry controlled by Jobro. But here 
it's not just uh, an advantage, but it seems to have created very significant tensions for the government. I mean, how do you interpret this sense that there's a kind of sabotage that Jobro is sometimes engaged in? That's one interpretation, that you have within peace uh, Morawiecki at the moment, and we'll talk uh, about him later, the prime minister, who is more moderate. Uh, he doesn't necessarily have much uh, support within the party of peace, but he's being backed by Kaczynski at the moment. He's the face of Poland outside, um, and, and he's in that more centrist position by, by Polish standards. And therefore, that he does not want this issue of withdrawing from the Istanbul Convention to be part of the conversation in Poland right now. He certainly doesn't want it to happen because of the external problems that causes for Poland's relations with other countries. And therefore, that pushing this is not helping the coalition by airing views that appeal to a part of the electorate, but actually sabotage directed against Mateusz Morawiecki and that sort of more uh, centrist conservative faction. Do you place much credence in that idea? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, both from the perspective of this rivalry between um, Jobro and Morawiecki, which um, gives Jobro an incentive to do this, and also in the sense that... Um, uh, it's a it's a structural vulnerability not only of the coalition but also of peace itself and peace is um, ideologically a, a a broader organization than it's given credit for and has a much broader electorate ideologically than uh, than people realize and it's often been vulnerable to this kind of um, um, attempt at uh, sort of ideological provocation, both um, from within the coalition, particularly in the case of United Poland, but also from organisations outside the coalition. If we recall, for example, the um, the abortion issue, a number of social movements that are sort of have have worked alongside mm-hmm. peace in the past and have uh, are associated to various politicians who are connected to peace. Yeah, have. Um, have made it their business to keep issues on the agenda that uh, really probably Kaczynski would prefer could be sort of pushed into the background for a bit. So abortion has been a particular example of this. It's clear that this is um, an issue that Peace quickly realised it was not going to be a good idea to push too far. And this is the structural problem. Peace is constantly playing this balancing act of trying to keep the more moderate conservative voters on side and not scare them away with too much hair-raising rhetoric. And at the same time, ensuring mm-hmm. that, um, as Kaczynski puts it, that there is nothing between peace and the wall on the right side, that it's um, uh, that area of the political spectrum is both um, ideologically and electorally dominated by peace. Increasingly, social movements and um other political parties to um, both inside and outside of government, because remember, we also have Confederatio in this space, Confederation. Um, the far right they, uh, yeah. option. Mm-hmm. And they have been learning over the last few years that you know, peace is vulnerable in this area, that at the right time, if they hit with an issue that peace's electorate are expecting them to do something about or to take an interest in at least, they can they can make the political music for a while. And that's something that I think that um, clearly discomforts Jaroslav Kaczynski, who is very much used to being the conductor. Well, I think we need to move on to the question of we've got some sense of what's at stake, what the background is to all of this. But 
I mean, who won this confrontation? Did anybody win? Uh, how do you interpret Yaroslav Kaczynski's return to the government? Does this mean a weakening of his position because he can't be the puppet master from behind the scenes anymore? He, he actually has to take a role um, in the government. Did Jobro, is his position uh, strengthened in some way? by the fact that he, in a sense, didn't really give anything up. It's not really clear that he's going to back down in the end on the the legislative issue that was the pretext for all of this, the animal rights bill. We don't know that yet. How do you interpret uh, the outcome of the battle? This is one of those situations where there there are so many... So many variables between the, the and relationships between the, the various political actors that it it seems like a situation in which um, everybody, to some extent, lost. But because everybody lost, <laughs> nobody feels as if they as if they didn't win. And I think that um, <laughs> uh, n- nobody has really come out of this um, having to answer the question of you know. Um, why did you come out of this situation with nothing? Um, so in that sense, the, you know, the length of time it took for this, um, for this agreement to be thrashed out uh, is, I think, testament to the fact that both sides realised there was a great deal of scope for losing face well, in this situation. Well, maybe we should and go everyone that... Everyone wanted to avoid that. Maybe we should go through it. What did Kaczynski get out of it? You say everybody was able to sort of say, well, we got something out of this, even though, as, as you mentioned, everybody lost. I mean, it was obviously as a, not, not a great PR exercise for the whole coalition. Uh, but what did Kaczynski gain? What did, what did Jobro gain? Well, Kaczynski gained in the sense that he was able to do what I suspect he would have liked to have been able to do in uh, in one fell swoop, which was to, to bang his fist on the set on the table and bring everybody to order. There was a sense over the last um, the last couple of months that uh, all of this maneuvering was really undermining his position as the orchestrator of everything that goes on in Polish politics and certainly everything that goes on within the coalition. So I think in that sense he. Um, he regained the sense that he is the person who ultimately will decide or not on the um, uh, on the, the future prospects of the government as a going concern, and in an obvious sense, he also gained because he um, he was able to um, to ensure that he didn't have to face um, early elections or a minority government, which um, certainly was a threat that he was hanging out, but is not something he would have wanted to um, uh, to be forced into. So where Jobro is concerned, he has clearly had his wings clipped and... Um, this but may... but apart, I mean apart from the fact that you know he he got out there in a press conference where he was red faced and looked very uncomfortable uh, and and was clearly you know to to some extent groveling uh, asking to be kept in the coalition that was a very, an embarrassing moment but after that in in, in concrete terms I mean he, his party has lost a minister but uh, that's yeah. because the uh, the minist- ministries have been reduced. Um, and he's gained a sort of non non portfolio minister as well, so you could say that evens itself out. So, in what way have his wings been clipped? Well, his wings have been clipped in the sense that um, it has clearly been shown to him where the limits of Kaczynski's patience lie as far as uh, forging an independent. Um, faction within the coalition. So uh, Kaczynski made it clear from the beginning that um, it, that this ultimately is a government that has to govern um, with strict discipline. I mean, if we remember the, the, essentially the pretext for um, 
the the final showdown was the failure of United Poland deputies to vote for an animal welfare bill. Whether that bill was put there deliberately to try to force this situation out into the open remains um, an, an open question. But um, Well, there's also clearly... the question of the bill behind the scenes, which is the so-called uh, impunity bill, yeah. which, uh, which, which, I mean, some commentators were saying this is what uh, the whole stoush was really about, yeah. was a bill that would give members of the government impunity for breaking the law if they did so in the interests of the nation with respect to the coronavirus epidemic. Yeah. Do you think that, I mean, do you want to say anything quickly about that? Well, or is it- This was clearly you know, something that was politically troublesome for Jobro because um, it takes an instrument of discipline, potential discipline out of his hands um, in his position as both justice minister and uh, prosecutor general. Particularly to the, discipline the PM, right, who was on the hook. Yeah, uh, with, yeah essentially. With, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it, it, it makes it, uh, it takes an instrument of discipline out of his hands and he is clearly, you know, in the, the same sense as Kaczynski, is somebody who, who governs by accumulating power to himself. Um, and I think that the animal welfare bill was something that was less... Um, uh, less of an issue that uh, really should have led to a, a, a split within the party. Their yeah. um, decision to vote against was almost in a sense that if you're going to if you're going to offer some bait here, we're going to take it, and then we're going to see what happens. So I think both sides were looking for a showdown, and in that sense, Jobro, despite that conference at which he sort of appeared to be um, somewhat intimidated by the situation and somewhat um, very much on the defensive. I think that he will see this in overall terms as a moment where he sort of he stared Kaczynski down. I mean, he he was able to um, he he was able to ensure that he could um, that he could bring his party back into government um, after having faced the previous week a very real threat of uh, of being kicked out and. I think that that will strengthen his position in the longer run because people will remember that this was an occasion where um, he went into um, discussions and into negotiations with Kaczynski and came away having thrashed out some form of compromise. This is a very different situation to simply be sort of sitting there and taking uh, taking dictation from uh, from the chairman, which is. I, I think you're. I think you're right about that. So do, does this mean, therefore, uh, that Kaczynski, although he reasserted his authority, as 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 you said, and there was an, there was a moment where he humiliated Jobro to some extent, but it was a short moment that people can forget. But after that, do you think Kaczynski is weaker now? He's he's in the government. He can't pull the strings from behind the scenes anymore. Um, he will be separating Jobro and Morawiecki from each other, who they supposedly uh, hate each other. If you listen to to uh, what the leaks from from uh, inside the government say, uh, so that's what he's there for. He's going to be keeping an eye on Jobro. He's got this strange security portfolio that he'll be overseeing. Uh, three different ministries. Uh, and it just seems like these are all things that Kaczynski really doesn't want to be doing. He would rather be sitting back in the party yeah. headquarters, having the ministers uh, come, as they call it, on pilgrimages to visit him there yeah. uh, on Novogrodska Street. Is that how you see things? Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, it's clear that this has been his preference um, since 2015 to be 
the person who orchestrates things from, from behind the scenes. Reportedly, he absolutely loathed his experience of being prime minister, um, <laughs> bo- both because of the, um, the structured nature of, um, uh, 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 of, the, of the job and also sort of the, the, other, the other stuff that comes along with it, so the, uh, the, the formal representative stuff that you have to, uh, to attend to when you're in a, 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 a position of formal executive power. So I think he's always preferred to exercise that power from behind the scenes. By coming back into the government, and it's clear, as you say, that he is there as a buffer between um, Morawiecki and Jobro, and also there, I think, to um, to be able to uh, to get a more a, a sort of a clearer um, in the moment sense of what is going on within the government. He has quite a loose uh, portfolio overseeing. A number of sort of key areas of government activity, and I think is um, so. So that 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 sort of degree of informality and the and wide ranging um, interests in various areas of uh, of uh, of policy and the and the and institutions of state is still there in terms of his um, his main area of political activity. He's going to be concerning himself with many of the same issues that he has been. Um, dealing with from outside the government. But this is a position he would have preferred not to be bounced into. I mean, he's clearly more comfortable as a behind-the-scenes strategist. And um, even a portfolio which is as vaguely construed as this will still restrict to some extent his, his, his room to roam across the business of government. He's going to have to focus on certain things more than others. Um, it might also bring about something of a diminishing of this uh, this Novogrodzka effect that you referred to earlier. So this idea that power in Polish politics is something mysterious and ineffable yeah. because it's wielded informally. I think that a lot of pieces power as a political force um, derives from its ability to operate um, outside the informally uh, formal institutions yeah. of power yeah. and in particular Kaczynski's ability to project this sort of sense of being the brain at the center of everything and the point of reference for everybody and as you say this these pilgrimages that people have to do that ministers have to do to in order to um uh, to, to, to know what their exactly uh, their, their latest policy priorities are but but also um, without any actual responsibilities and without any actual account yeah. without any actual accountability yeah, this is the other thing. I mean, Kaczynski will be legally and politically accountable for his actions in a way that would have been more difficult to um, uh, to ensure when he was functioning in, in a formal sense as, um, as as a humble backbencher. And so, I think he it doesn't necessarily mean a weakening of his position in the sense of um, his position within the party yeah. and his position as the as the power broker. Yeah. That's something that he. Um, he underlined quite clear, quite clearly at the swearing in of the um, of the government. I think that there was a degree of spectacle here. He was the only one who took off his mask and didn't put it back on. For example, this was picked up on by a lot of commentators. It, it was he astonishing, walked, and walked off in in the other direction when uh, a group photo of the government was uh, being taken, as if to say. I don't need to be part of this. And you let them do, go and do the formal stuff. I'm going to walk off and think complicated thoughts about the future of Poland. It was an amazing that, image. I mean, it's hard to describe his attitude towards the fellow members of his government as anything other than contempt, really. I mean, yeah. that's what it looked. That was the image anyway. I mean, obviously, you never, you never really know, but that's what the picture seemed to say. And that is the picture that he will have wanted people to see, that 
Yes,、mm-hmm. he's in the government. Yes, he's deputy、mm-hmm. prime minister. But at the same time, he is he's still in above the government. In the government, but not of the government. Yeah, oh, that that's really interesting. But look, I think the legal accountability I mean, it is quite important. I mean, it's amazing to me, for instance, that in this case of Morawiecki、uh, being responsible、uh, for what has been declared an illegal、uh, move to have the post office、uh, organize elections back in May, these elections that never ended up taking place. I mean, from all reports, it was Kaczynski that was pushing. The Prime Minister Morawiecki to make that decision,、um, but the legal accountab- accountability, of course, rests with Morawiecki, not with Kaczynski. Despite the fact that Morawiecki was supposedly reluctant to follow these instructions, one of the most extraordinary things in Polish politics it's the degree to which others have been willing to put their、um, political and personal futures at risk for the sake of somebody who has been.、Um, At least until now,、um, as functionally legally immune it's, from it's the, the consequences of these actions. You know, I think we'll have to have a separate episode on the Kaczynski effect because it's、yeah. a, it is a very interesting subject. But should we move on quickly and 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 just talk、sure. about that battle between Morawiecki and Jobro, that rivalry?、Um, do you think Jobro's come out stronger now because Morawiecki's position is certainly weakened because he's going to have、uh, Kaczynski in there、uh, and it's going to give him less power as prime minister?、Um, and do you see the battle between these two? As the main fight for supremacy for the post-Kaczynski world of the Polish right, at the moment, yes, certainly. I mean, they they are clearly the two、um, who are best placed to articulate what are probably in a post-Kaczynski world going to be quite different、um, uh, visions and proposals. I think sometimes Morawiecki is confused for somebody who is a little bit more moderate in policy terms than he actually is. But nevertheless, there are differences between Morawiecki and, and Jobra, both in、yeah. style and in substance.、Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that、um, essentially the, 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 the distinction between Morawiecki and Jobra, in some ways, is the、uh, the, cl- the main line of cleavage within peace itself, and、um, perhaps is going to be the line along which the party、um, subsequently breaks. So certainly, that、uh, they are the two. Best place to articulate that rivalry. As far as the、uh, consequences of the the reshuffle are concerned, I mean certainly Morawiecki has been undermined to the extent that、um, he's sort of、uh, it, it. It almost appears like he's had to kind of get his、uh, get his big brother to come and stand in between him and the school bully. It's, <laughs> and so in that sense, it's it sort of it undermines his 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 authority as. Prime Minister, in the sense that、um, uh, not only that there is somebody who is having to、uh, to come into government to be a buffer between him and the Justice Minister, but that the person who is doing that is informally the Deputy Prime Minister, but、um, is you know, in fact the person who is、um, who, who is pulling the strings. It, I think that Kaczynski coming into the government emphasizes Morawiecki's、um, limited autonomy to a greater extent than、um, was the case when Kaczynski was out of the government. So, in that sense, I think that、uh, Morawiecki has certainly、um, has lost out in terms of his ability to be seen as somebody、mm-hmm. who can、um, uh, can direct his own government. But having said that.、Um, You know, there were lots of reasons to、um, 
to sort of doubt that he was um, ever really as uh, as autonomous as a prime minister as he would have liked to have uh, sure. as, as he would have liked sure. us, uh, us to believe. But he was more autonomous than Shidwar had been. Um, and yeah. and he was certainly trying to carve out a, a degree of autonomy. I mean, you hear these. I think he, he was he was trusted with more as well. I think yeah. that um, yeah. one of the reasons why this might seem to be a bit of a defeat for him is because in a way it's almost it's almost admitting that um, the the extra free reign that he was given by uh, Kaczynski is something that he has proven um, unworthy of, or that um, has uh, yeah. mm-hmm. is something that has been to mm-hmm. a degree ta- taken away from him. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean it's interesting. Again, it might be for a future podcast about what the what the future configurations might look like. I mean, you hear about Morawiecki allying himself potentially with PSL, the peasant uh, party. You talk, you hear uh, Jobro and Confederacja, whether they could beat the far right and uh, and Jobro's party, whether that could be a future alliance. All kinds of ways in which the right in Poland could break down after Kaczynski. Yeah. Now, if we move on to one of the ministerial appointments that was quite. Um, controversial, and this was of a, an MP from from Peace, uh, ultra conservative MP from Peace called Przemysław Czarnek, as the Minister of Education, Science, and Higher Education. Um, it's a, it was a controversial appointment because of his quite radical statements about LGBT people and also about the role of women, uh, sort of redu- seeming to reduce that to childbearing. Uh, and so this was something that uh, there was a lot of noise about in the media. What do you make of this appointment? Do you think it means that academia might be uh, one of the next targets of uh, pieces rolling uh, revolution against elites? Well, I think that there are two things which have been intended by this appointment. I mean, he isn't there for no reason. The first um, is to send a signal that there will be no let up on the LGBT issue. This is an issue that he was um, was certainly very vocal in um, uh, in, in articulating. That I think uh, the fact that he was so vocal in this area, the fact that he was um, somebody who had been willing to go you know, to 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 say quite um, uh, quite aggressive um, things in public on this issue, um, has been a factor in his appointment. I think it's uh, it's but by promoting somebody like this. Uh, particularly you know, a politician who has not been in national politics for all that long uh, and has not might not necessarily be seen to have earned his stripes as a minister so far by es- by, by by elevating him um, uh, much more quickly than some of his um, of his compatriots i think that this has sent a message that um, this issue is one that uh, peace intends to to press further and the broader cultural war that um, uh, that surrounds it so just so keep the culture war boiling up boiling basically yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that that um, do, do you think do you think there's going to be a do you think there are going to be he's going to do anything uh, as minister of higher education for example do you think we might see uh, some attempt to attack the autonomy of academics for example you know as well yeah, as, I, mean, I, I think that this uh, this sort of uh, it links to the second um, of the the reasons for his appointment that uh, that I wanted to mention, which is uh, that Peace is a party that thrives on confrontations with uh, with various elites. I mean, they have um, focused to a significant extent on the ju- judiciary, certainly during their first term uh, term in office. 
Partly yep. this was of strategic importance. I mean, they had to uh, to, to capture the, the, the uh, and extend their influence over the key institutions that might be a, a bulwark to their um, to, to their policy agenda or to their plans more generally. But it was also a matter of um, uh, of prestige in the sense of um, defenestrating an elite that has, um, in, in their, uh, uh, as far as they're concerned, has essentially um, held all the cards in Poland over the last uh, over the last twenty five to thirty years, and to replace that elite with an elite that is in um, in um, classic populist terms more authentic, more uh, from the people, more of the people. So I think that that um, uh, that has been an element of uh, of, of pieces um, uh, political ethos from the beginning, and having um, by and large sort of um, exhausted for now the um, the, uh, the assault on the judi- on the judiciary, I think that they're looking around for other targets to keep this sort of. Um, uh, this anti-elite yep. crusade viable and and live as a political issue, it's difficult to prove more difficult for them to take on the media in the way that they might have wanted. I mean, this is a clear, uh, clearly an area in which Jarosław Kaczynski has wanted to um, to make significant changes. Um, Academia, still, still looks unlikely yeah. though in the media. So, so yeah. academia is one way is is one alternative. A- potent, academia possibly. is a it, it's it it is by its very nature. A, um, a self-selecting, self-perpetuating elite of precisely the Casta. kind that, uh, that, that exactly that um, uh, that peace has previously criticised, and in uh, and, and offers also the same opportunities for um, uh, for implementing a um, for sort of putting in place an alternative elite that can reprofile the intellectual and cultural centre of gravity of Poland further to the right. And so I think that um, putting Czarnik in place is intended to send a message to academia to say that this is a political fighter who cares nothing for your niceties and nothing for the the proprieties and the ethos of your your profession in this, uh, to the same extent that uh, Yaroslav Govin did, in uh, who Yaroslav Govin, who was um, mm-hmm. from 2015 until yep. um, fairly recently, was the um, uh, the minister with responsibility for higher education. It sends that message to academia that um, uh, you have you, know, you have not been touched by um, the uh, the Dobrazmiana positive change yep. so far but don't think that you're invulnerable from that yes yes uh, i think you're i think you're right about that I, th- I think there's one more element you could add to the charnek appointment and that is i think to directly connect it with the conflict in the coalition uh, so in other words jobro's party has been sort of busily carving out this increasingly distinct identity as the sort of proprietors of this more hard right narrative and the very conservative ideology and particularly this anti-LGBT campaign, for example, associating itself with that. So it seems to me that appointing an anti-LGBT crusader from within peace to this position was partly about reminding uh, perhaps voters, perhaps members of the party itself that peace also has a stake in these issues. And these issues are not the domain uh, exclusively of uh, United Poland and Jobro, uh, but that peace has its own hard right wing um, and that therefore those views can come under the tent of peace itself. So I, I feel that this 
this was a, 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 an important stake in this appointment as well in the context of the coalition. I think you're right on that. It's uh, it's clearly um, uh, something that peace have to do from time to time to yeah. to, 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 to remind to those yep. on the right that they yep. are also um, very much... Um, we can be radical too. Uh, ...associated with these issues. Yeah. Now, the final question, uh, which is just about the future, what, where does the ruling coalition go from here? Or I suppose more, su- more specifically, um, what do you expect the agenda to be in the coming months? I mean, they, they often talk about a, a, an autumn legislative offensive. Uh, we've already talked about uh, the, the question of whether academics will be targeted. It still seems unlikely to me, I would say. The media laws are obviously vexed because what uh, are they actually able to do legally from the point of yeah. view of the EU and then the, the, the American alliance also interfering with what they can do? As well. Exactly. So w- what do you expect to, to come this autumn uh, from, from the ruling coalition? Everything has been uh, thrown into uncertainty because of what's happening with the coronavirus crisis. I mean, it's um, if there was a, mm. a set of initiatives there to be uh, to be pursued, it's very uncertain as to to what extent their um, uh, their ambitions are going to be thwarted and their plans are going to be waylaid by what is looking to be a more significant. Um, outbreak than the one we saw in March and April, and, mm-hmm. and one which I think. Um, will very much test the relationship between the government and um, and citizens more generally. People were quite accepting of the restrictions um, in uh, uh, around the first wave. If those restrictions return and return in uh, potentially in more in 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 harsher form and yeah. have a, a deeper impact on um, subsequently on the economy than perhaps the government was expecting. We could be in for a very, um, a, a very unsettled next few months. Not only in terms of the impact that the coronavirus crisis is having on um, on society and on the economy in general, but also um, on the 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 way that the response of the government is um, is is perceived among an electorate which has really been quite forgiving of it so far. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and not yes. only over this issue. So. Where the agenda for the next uh, few months is concerned, I think that um, we're at a, a moment where it's very difficult to say because it's very difficult to say what is going to be possible in um, in, in a month or a couple of months' time. Um, so there may not could, be that. Really, we might yeah. not see legislative fireworks at all uh, simply for that yes, reason. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think it's a sort of if the coronavirus crisis really does take hold, it's a sort of situation in which. Um, it's going to be all hands to the pump as far as dealing with that crisis is concerned, and it's going to be difficult to um, uh, to push out um, any sort of eye-catching policy initiatives during this period. Both in a practical sense, yep. um, we may be looking at um, a situation in which, for example, the the work of government and the work of parliament will be significantly disrupted by um, uh, by lockdown measures. But also in a political sense, I and mean, if you are if you're fighting one fire then um, starting others is not necessarily a great idea. Well, we'll see how that unfolds and hopefully uh, they're able to control this mounting second wave with with these record figures, unfortunately, day after day. And hopefully they can control that um, and and things will will return to some semblance of semi-normality in Poland uh, and across Europe maybe being optimistic is unwise at this point in time but thank you ben for joining us once again on the notes from poland podcast thanks very much for having me